Dear Father in heaven, our Father, our, our God, the one who calls us by his name, we come into thy presence this morning with thanksgiving from the, 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 the small things to the big things, from the, the things uh, of, of our daily needs that thou hast supplied even this morning, the food we had this morning, the, the beds we got up out of, the roof that is over our head now as the rain is coming down, to the big things, the eternal lasting things that will stand when all of these temporary things will pass away. Thy son Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, his death, our place in heaven now, which is assured, which is promised for all those that love thee. Dear Father, we thank thee for that this morning hour. We lift up our hands, dear Father, to thee and ask for another blessing this morning, another stirring of thy spirit. We need it desperately. We've come, as we sang this morning already, we've come to assemble around thy word to experience that communion first with thee, dear Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then as we do that with each other, that, that communion of, of like-minded hearts that are gathered around the word, that are made like-minded by Jesus Christ. Dear Father, we are thankful for this time. We anticipate this blessing and we ask, please be with us as we open thy word. Amen. So as I alluded to in the uh, announcements, or at the beginning there, we did, uh, for those that aren't aware, we had a, uh, the believers here had a communion service last evening, uh, the, the membership here, and it was, it was a real uh, blessing. And one of my thoughts from that service is, is, as it's always important, we're enjoined to in, in God's word when we partake of that, is to reflect on, first of all, to remember Christ and what he did for us, and then to examine ourselves and, and where we stand and that we take of it in a worthy manner, not based on our own merits, our own worthiness, but, but looking to Jesus. And so this morning I thought maybe it would be good to reflect on some scripture that um, spurs us a bit towards fruitfulness, more fruitfulness. In the light of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, it's, it's fitting that we examine a scripture that has some clear instructions for how we ought to live. And that's where my, my heart tends this morning, and I, I believe it's from the Lord. So let's open to, to Titus, the book of Titus, Epistle Titus, that's near the end of the New Testament, uh, right after Timothy, First and Second Timothy, Titus chapter 2, where we'll read some practical instructions for those that have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, those that are <clears throat> redeemed. Chapter 2 of Titus. And this is Paul writing to his, uh, his fellow helper, someone who he's left behind in Crete, the island of Crete, to continue that work of establishing the church and instructing. And he's writing now to Titus, uh, and he says these words, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, 
that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and pure and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. I've read to the end of the chapter. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's bow together for prayer. Heavenly Father, it is so good to come into thy presence now together, to kneel in prayer before thee, the Lord, the King of the entire universe, the one who created all things, and for thy good pleasure they were and are created. Heavenly Father, what a thought on a gloomy Sunday morning to think of a God so great We look around ourselves and we see uh, confusion and fear. We see uncertainty and doubt. We see forces working against each other. But with these clarity and light, and like it would be on a day like today, if we would but poke our heads above the clouds, we would see glorious sunshine. And so, Heavenly Father, now through thy word, We're so thankful that we have this opportunity to do the same as it were spiritually, to to put our heads above the clouds and, and gloom of this world and to see how thou hast ordered things and how we can maximize our lives here below. If we would pull our lives in line with thee, that we would find in thee perfect happiness, fulfillment, joy, blessing, and peace when none of those things exist down here. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that thy Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, walked this world here below, that he experienced everything that we go through. He knew what it was like to be mocked. He knew what it was like to suffer sadness and death and grief. He knew what it was like to have people speak ill of him. 
He knew what it was like to go against the grain of the current of this world. And yet he overcame. As we have remembered yesterday evening, the believers gathering together to remember his death and his resurrection. Now on this Sunday morning, we do as the early disciples and apostles did. We gather together on the first day of the week to remember thy glorious resurrection and thy coming return. Heavenly Father, be with our brothers and sisters and friends who weren't able to gather with us today, perhaps for, for various reasons. Heavenly Father, we know that no virus stays thy hand or prevents thee in any way. We ask a special blessing now upon them as they perhaps are worshiping with us online or uh, in, the, in the quietness and solitude of their own homes. Be with us, Heavenly Father. Be with especially Sister Lena. Comfort her, Heavenly Father, through the loss of her dear husband. Fill her with the comfort and hope of knowing that she will one day see again her loved one who will be laid to rest. That this world is not the end, that death is not a finality, but is only a doorway which leads to a new reality, one that's hidden from our mortal eyes right now, but already exists, and we wait our turn one by one to pass through. Be with the brother who will spread thy word and, and preach this morning. Grant him a rich measure of thy Holy Spirit, because the words that we speak today are spiritual. They are not carnal. They're not words to do with this life only, but they touch on the reality of the life to come. Be with him, Heavenly Father, and grant each one here an open heart to receive thy word as thou wouldst give it unto us. Be with those that are preaching thy gospel, perhaps in very different circumstances than we find ourselves in this morning. Perhaps they're teaching in secret because of authorities that would like to persecute and destroy the followers of the cross of Jesus Christ. Let thy word continue to go forth until thou wilt return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned uh, in the opening, those of us that did partake the Lord's Supper last evening and we were, we were asked or instructed to examine ourselves, uh, to, to look inward and to see our state, this, the, the, the state of our relationship with the Lord and where he wants to move us closer to his image my thoughts then this 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 morning tended to this Titus chapter two. Because it's it's simply not enough to speak, as we read in the opening verse here, to speak sound doctrine, to believe it in the sense of understanding and believing what Jesus Christ has done for us and um, who God is and who man is. It's not enough simply to um, acknowledge sound doctrine, but as we read in this passage, as we read throughout the whole of Scripture, really, sound doctrine, sound teaching, sound, um, a heartfelt belief has to come out in our lives. It has to come out in, a way, in the way we live. And my hope and my prayer this morning, Ara, was would be that you, 
and I would see um, this clear instruction in the light of God's grace through Jesus Christ, that we would see that we are enabled to do these things, that we are empowered, that, that God gives us uh, the clarity and the power to do them as we look to Jesus Christ, as we believe on him. So my, my hope would be this morning we wouldn't just simply read these things here in chapter 2 and think this is a list of instructions and here we've got something for everyone and, and, and go and do it and that's it. Because if you, if you approach things that way, if you approach things as a list of instructions, as a, a list of a moral a list of, of things to do, uh, we will be reverting to the law. We will be going back to, a, to a, um, an approach to God's word that does not bear the fruit that he's looking for. The fruit that God is looking for in you, he enables you to produce as you believe on Jesus Christ, as you trust in him, as you honor him and glorify him. And that comes out at the end of this passage here about the grace of God. And, and that is the, the grace of God is what is teaching us to do these things. It is what Jesus Christ has done for each one of us, that example, the way that touches and affects and changes me that now then enables me to fulfill the God-given role he's given me as a young man or a young woman or an older man or an older woman. You know, these, these things here, they, um, part of the other reason I, I was drawn to this scripture here is because um, I've was way the last couple of weeks, so I don't know. I, I haven't checked back to what was preached, but we've been uh, preaching essential, important things about the nature of salvation and the nature of God and, and who he is and, and truth and, and um, we'd say maybe metaphysical things, things that, that, are, that are big and high, but we cannot lose sight of the practical instructions in God's word. And any time any preaching of his word neglects those things and just kind of focuses on... on, on um, Things that we may tend to think while they're, they're higher and a little disconnected from my everyday life, we've got to come back to scriptures like this that give simple instructions about how we ought to live. We need to be rooted and grounded in these simple instructions uh, of the way we ought to be in our relationships with each other, the way we ought to be as a fellowship teaching and, and giving an example. You know, it's not enough just to believe some things uh, mentally, to check things off, as it were. I believe this about Jesus Christ. I believe that. Um, I've had this experience of salvation. No, that's not enough. That's not God's plan. His plan, as, as laid out here, laid out in this, this, this letter, is for changed lives. Changed lives that are radically different than the society around them. That's the context of, of this letter here, this, uh, this letter of Paul to Titus. Um, he... As he did with Timothy, uh, after some initial missionary work, some church planting, some preaching of the gospel, and, and um, establishing of churches, he left behind a disciple of his, a, a follower of his that knew his, his, his teaching that was well-established in the doctrine to further that work, to deepen it. That's what Titus was supposed to do here in Crete in a society that in the first chapter he gives a passing a nod to he talks about he quotes one of the Cretan poets when he says that Cretans are always liars evil beasts slow bellies and and I don't think he was um, 
denigrating the Cretan people more than other people in the sense of, 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 of uh, some sort of, uh, I don't know, um, discrimination or something like that, but just acknowledging the, the, the sin that was prevalent in their society that was culturally baked in, as it were, as it is everywhere and manifests itself in different ways in different societies. So this island of Crete where, where believers had been, uh, um, had, had responded, where people had responded to the gospel and become believers, uh, was now given, Titus, Paul is giving Titus a reminder. Here's a template. This is how the church of God should be established. And we need to be reminded of that too. We um, thank the Lord we're a multi-generational church that we've had generations of believers that have preceded us. We're not a, a new church in the sense of, you know, no one in this area or no one of our ancestors believed before, uh, like a first generation. But in the same way, we have to go back to this template of God's plan for the church. It's not enough for us to, to just hold on to some, some good God, uh, godly traditions or, or to think of a good godly heritage that we have. It needs to be founded on this template. And anytime we depart from that, anytime we um, think that the way we behave ourselves in our families, the way we behave ourselves between each other is not important, or we can neglect that, compromise it, we're, we're departing from that template of, of sound doctrine, of the plan, God's plan for the church. You must not forget that God builds the church in this way, through these simple instructions, these changed lives, these commitments of, of, of believers to each other and uh, to the Lord. In doing this will result in a peculiar people. Following these, this, this simple, clear word of God, it will create, I believe, and, and, and you, my brother and sister, need to believe and cling to that too, it will establish, it will create and, and make a peculiar treasure, that's what that word is really, of God's people. We don't need to be discouraged or to think that, um, well, we'll just get increasingly fragmented and we'll drift apart and, and uh, you know, things will just... This is the plan. We just need to stick to it. We need to, to believe it. We need to live it in our daily lives, in our families, with, with our children, with our spouses, and we need to live it with each other. And God will produce that fruit, that peculiar people that, that is separate in the right way from the, the culture around them and the world around them. So now the, the apostle gives some simple instructions to different segments, different, different ages, different, different uh, um, stations in life, as it were. He starts with the aged men. He probably does that because the aged men should be leaders in the church, those that have maturity and that have been um, established in the faith, that have gone through some experiences. There should be, uh, that, that, that should be leveraged, as it were, in the church. Shouldn't be ignored or um, put aside because it's, it's, um, not as flashy or whatever, or, or, or maybe the, not a quote-unquote relevant. God's truth, his learned truth, is always relevant. Saying that, keep in mind, Titus was probably a young man. Titus and Timothy, Timothy certainly was a young man, and they, they had roles of leadership in the church too. So there's no um, hard and fast rule, as it were. But with time, as God's grace, as, as his truth, as his words uh, works in our lives, it should produce a maturity, something that can be um, 
of lasting benefit to people that come behind us. If that's not happening, you know, it's not a foregone conclusion because you can get to old age and, and be foolish in old age too. But with time, there should come this soberness, this, this gravity, this temperance, this idea of, of balance, that I, I don't react a certain way. Um, I, can, I am able to control uh, my reactions, that what comes out of my mouth is considered, is tempered with time. Um, a stability, a soundness in faith with charity, with love, and with patience as we deal with other people. So the aged men are asked, are, are, are instructed to cultivate, to see those virtues grow in them. And, you know, we are blessed. If we read these descriptors, if those of us that are younger, if we read those descriptors and we think of godly examples in our lives, of, of godly aged men that, that do fulfill this by the grace of God, because that's an example for us. It's something for us to value and to cherish. And he speaks to the aged women also. And they have different temptations and different opportunities. It's clear here from, from the instructions that, that Paul is giving to Titus for teaching them. He says, the aged woman should be in behavior as becometh holiness. There should be a reverence and a, and a, and a godliness in their demeanor and, and how they, they hold themselves as an example for those that are coming after. There should be that. Um, and we know when it's put on and we know when it's coming from a life, of a, a, a belief, that, that a holiness that is not um, so obsessed with, 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 though it will come out in the outward, is not so obsessed with the outward, but that comes from a heart of, of maturity and of soundness, a heart that is desiring the best for other people, that will speak that word of love at the right time, that will engage in a way that, that will um, produce good fruit, that will help produce good fruit in, in those that are coming behind, those younger ones. You know, because the, the temptation, it seems to be, and, and not exclusively for, for women, but the temptation may be to be false accusers or to, or to be slanderers. Or, or, um, and I know it, it happens with both sexes, but women, because, maybe because of their nature of, of, of connectivity and, and speaking with each other and, and um, interacting with each other in, in a way sometimes that men don't do, maybe the temptation would be to, to, to speak... Um, not in the best way about other people, and maybe even to falsely accuse them or to, to give them motives that, that, uh, that we really don't know, we're not privy to. So that's the, uh, that's the instruction here for the aged women, not, not to be false accusers. In that culture, it looked like wine was a problem, not given to much wine. But here, I'd like to underscore teachers of good things, because then verse 4 expounds on it. And... I would like to challenge our, our older sisters, those that have had some experience in the faith, how much are you teaching the good things that you've learned? Is it enough just to live a, a life that is um, for yourself, as it were, in the sense of I'm, my relationship with the Lord is, is, is good and I, I'm, you know, I'm living a good moral life? Or do you have a heart that is desiring to teach the younger? It's good when the younger uh, sisters are getting together and they're having Bible studies and they're, they're uh, discussing God's word. But this scriptural responsibility here is also to the, the older woman to teach, to actively teach a way of life, uh, uh, an attitude, skills actually, to the younger woman. 
because the younger women, the effect that they have on the family, on the, the, the young families that are just starting out, that is probably the biggest, the biggest effect of any single person in the church. When I, when I really think about it, like the words that we preach here on a Sunday morning, they're important, um, they go forth. But when I think about the little lives that are um, just growing, that are just starting, they're just at forming these concepts of God, that first person that they're going to is their mother to see who God is, to see what he's like, to see how I relate to my siblings. And young women, if you are given a, a family by, by God's grace, that role is, is, the, is probably the biggest one in the church. Now, all that being said, I don't want us to get the idea that that, that church is all just about family. It's, it's, we're, it's clear from the gospel that the church is a new family, that we are brothers and sisters in a very real sense, and, and we don't divide the church on family lines. But the health of families, the way that we relate, the way that children are brought up in families, everyone knows it has a huge impact on, on the future of the church. So, all that being said, God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient to make up the, the supply, the things that are lacking, the places that we've failed so many times, that I've failed already as a parent in my raising of my children, where I've reacted in anger. His grace is sufficient to make up that difference and to help me to, to teach me to walk in a way that honors him more and more. And my prayer is for you for that way too, that you would see God's grace teaching you to become more and more into this pattern, whatever stage you're at. Don't ever be dis in despair and look at your past failures and think, well, I've really messed up as a young man or a young woman or an older man or an older woman. To be discreet, the instructions here to the young woman, discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. There is an order of creation that God has created. If we read in other passages in Ephesians and, and in, uh, in Colossians, and there is an order of creation. And all I can say is that it flies in the face of uh, the current culture does not acknowledge it. And the answer to that our godly lives that, that, that really model that, that submission and love, that's what's desperately lacking in this society. When I look around and just see all the confusion, all the, the, the current language on gender and things like that, and, and, and we were just talking in the car this morning about the burden that is placed on kids today to figure out their gender, and the mind just reels. And the answer to that, it's not legislation, it's not a morality police, it's not let's take back, let's, let's win a majority in the, in, the, in the government. The answer to that is your life and my life lived in a way that, that is saturated with God's grace, with his goodness, with his truth. And a lot of it does fall on the, the young women as they fulfill this, this role. And they need help in that. Older women, they need help. Young men, seems like you get off easy in this passage here, but just one instruction. Young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded. Maybe, maybe it's just a simple instruction because that's maybe what the young men struggle with the most. And a word about soberness, about being sober-minded. It doesn't, maybe we have this conception that soberness is some kind of stuffed shirt, 
seriousness. That's not the way P Peter uses the word. It's not the way that Paul uses the word. Soberness is a clarity. It's a circumspectness. It's a looking around of yourself, of knowing, of taking life seriously, knowing what's going on around you. That's soberness. That's clarity. That's, that's seeing clearly what's going on inside yourself. So I've got a weakness in this area. I've got to be serious about that. Or this person here has a problem. I need to help them. That's soberness. That's seriousness. And our young men, today's culture especially, we need that. We need that seriousness and the soberness, the clarity to, 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 to cut through the, the nonsense and, and the stuff that is just a waste of time, the stuff that, that uh, what lasting effect will it have on me as a person or on, on the people that I love? Get rid of it. And I say that to myself for all, and even to this day, all the things, the time that I have wasted on things that are of no account, that are trivial, that are lifeless. So, young men, Let's be sober-minded. Paul instructs Titus to, to, to teach them in this way as a pattern, showing thyself as a pattern of good works. Because ultimately we can say all the things that we want, we can have good teaching, we can, um, we can have really uh, inspirational messages, we can understand a lot about the Bible, but if that doesn't show in our lives, the simple pattern of, 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 of the choices that we make every day, um, it, it's, it's of no effect. It, 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 at the end here, you know, the, the last, ex, uh, the end of the chapter, he says, let no man despise thee. You know, people will despise someone who, who says one thing and does another, someone who's a hypocrite. That's where the, the, the despite and the, and the scorn of this world is justly heaped on those who say one thing and do another. It is critical that we not only say the right thing, but that we do it, that we live in a way that if someone, like, G like Jesus said, which man of you convinceth me of, of sin? And, and Jesus was pure and, and perfect. He didn't say that in any sense of pride, but really we should, like Paul, get to that place of saying, my conscience is clear. I am free from the blood of all men. Um, I've warned you, I've, I've lived in a way, I, I didn't take money when it, when it would be an occasion of stumbling. Uh, I lived in a way that, wh who is going to convince me of sin? We, we should have that same approach and that not self-justification, but that clarity and that soundness so that those that would accuse us, those that are opposed to the gospel, to the whole idea of God, of Jesus Christ, of, of, of those truth claims, they really won't have anything to hang on us. And that's the example of, of our godly forebears, those that, that did follow and, and were, um, that loved the Lord, really their lives were an example of godliness. And it wasn't um, just a certain uh, set of behaviors, it was, a, it was a heart and a life. So all these instructions, the, the aged men, aged women, young women, young men, it's all in the context of of relationship, of, of, of a church body, right? Of people that are interacting with each other. How can we see a pattern if we don't live with the other people, if we're not interacting with them? And, you know, that begs the question too, you know, the current circumstances we find ourselves in. Do we just say, well, we're going to throw up our hands um, and say, well, it's, it's a pandemic time. We really can't interact the way we ought to. Or, um, you know, we'll just lie low until this blows over 
Or are we seeking ways to teach, to build each other up, to interact with each other in a way that fulfills the scripture, God's plan to build the church? God's not going to put his plan on hold and say, well, I'll, I'll just, you know, we'll give you a little rest for a while. He is building his church. Those that believe and trust in him, the question is, are we going to be part of it? Are we going to take a break from it? Just think, well, things are too difficult right now. We'll take a little uh, a space from it. This instruction here, he, he speaks now to servants, verses 9 and 10, exhorts servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things. Context of this is slavery. It was a society in which people were slave. They were not free. Um, they were bought and sold. That's not a good thing. I don't think um, Paul, by giving this instruction, is commending slavery. But it is highlighting that God's purpose with the church is not some sort of social uh, reconstruction in the sense of, of, of we've we got to fix these ills in society. God's answer through the church actually is that society will be affected as the church lives out the truth of the gospel. Things will change, but not um, by just overthrowing the social order. If any of you re have read some of the history of the French Revolution, what happened in the space of months in a society that was static for centuries, they had the ancient regime, and then in the space of, uh, I don't know, months, huge social upheaval. Just the, the monarchy done away with, and then the, the Catholic Church done away with, et cetera, et cetera. Huge social upheaval, and then you see what happens. This is... This is orchestrated from man. The, the bloodiness, the, the 16,000 um, people being, being killed in, in the space of two or three months in Paris and the, and the guillotine. And you think, yeah, that's, that's when man tries to do the social engineering. That's when man tries to, to fix things with his methods and his, his ideas. And some of the ideas were just quacky, if you read some of the, like, the excesses they got to. So this instruction here to servants to be obedient to their masters, it actually, in its seed, you know, in that we're, I'm, we're not interested in overturning the existing unjust social disorder, the slavery, this idea of slavery, it's, which is not good, which is not really in accordance with how people should treat each other in God's word. But through this, obeying the gospel, the church will show just how empty, uh, how, how broken society is outside of Christ. Think about it. In the same church, slaves and masters being brothers and sisters. You could have in the same church, you could have an elder brother that was a slave, maybe, with, with, that had spiritual responsibility for his master. Think about that. Total overturning. A total um, repudiation of all of what society values in terms of prestige and power and, and, and honor. And it comes from these simple instructions. In the station I am, I find myself in, I'm going to be obedient to the authorities that have been placed over me, even if they're unjust, even if it's, it seems very inconvenient to me. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to please them well. I'm not going to answer again. I'm not going to steal from them. And but by doing this, by following these simple instructions of, of, of being that obedient servant of God where I am, I'm going to adorn the doctrine of Christ adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. By doing this, I'm going to actually point to the real answer for the societal ills.
let's not lose sight of that in, in today's climate of uh, activism, etc. You know, all the all the, the the dialogue that's going on about that. Let's see the clarity and the truth, and the answer is really the gospel. And the answer is me living in a way that no matter where I find myself, I am adorning the, the doctrine of Christ in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. Did you catch that? It's grace. It's God's grace that teaches us these things. That grace has appeared to all men. The, the, the message of salvation has gone out. But who wants to be taught by it? Who wants to be instructed by it? Who wants to have their life, their life changed by it? This grace resulting from Jesus Christ's sacrifice, that him, him giving of himself for us, it's what has taught me. I look back in, in, in my life and I look back at my failures. I don't want to uh, minimize those, but I look back and I see God's grace has taught me. It's taught me as a young man, though I was hard-headed in a lot of ways and didn't, didn't learn the, mess, the, the lessons that God had to teach me time and time again. It's taught me going into marriage. That grace of God taught me how to enter into marriage. It teaches me how to be married. It teaches me how to raise children. That grace of God. And I think we, sometimes we, you know, when we, we say that word, we kind of dissociate it maybe, but it has to be uh, very concrete. Grace has to be very concrete. It, it, it cannot be dissociated. It cannot be some, some concept that I understand Jesus saved me and then I'm going to turn around and I'm, not going to, I'm going to act in a way that doesn't manifest that, that gratefulness, that thankfulness. I can't, I can't um, make that some, some remote concept. It has to be something that teaches me to be made the same way he is, to deny the world, to live in a way that, that is different from the world and to look for his returning. That's what God's grace is teaching me. To deny this world, it's, it's, it's teaching me to live soberly, righteously, and godly. And it's teaching me to look for his return, his, his blessed, glorious appearing. So this is, this is how... Verse 14, this peculiar people is accomplished by being taught by grace. It's not a matter of more rules. It's not a matter of more law. It's a matter of being taught by the grace of Jesus Christ. So last night we were encouraged to, um, we were reminded as we partook of, of uh, communion that we are, as we were doing this, we were showing forth the Lord's death till he comes in, in 1 Corinthians it says this is another way that we are showing forth the Lord's death as we live in a way that, that is taught by his grace we die daily to the lusts, the ungodliness that would, is, is natural that the rest of the world runs on we die day, daily to that and we show forth his death in our lives as we, uh, until he comes again May the Lord give us the boldness to not only speak these things, exhort them, to rebuke them, as the last verse says here, uh, but to, to live them, because all of the rest of that is vain if we don't. May God 
Grant that to us. Grant us the strength to see clearly where we're not living in, according to the simple pattern that, that we're not being sober-minded. We're not submitting to the authorities that God has given us in our lives. We're not teaching as we ought to teach. We're not acting in love or being patient in the way we ought to be patient. May God make that clear to each one of us. That's my prayer. Scripture gives clear commands as to how we should order our lives. Have you ever stopped and asked yourself why you rise up in opposition to it? The words that we've read together are certainly not in the spirit of our current social order. In fact, they fly directly in the face of it. Why is there such resistance to the commands of God? God allowed us choice right from the very beginning. And you'll read in Scripture about two different organizations. In the New Testament, it gives the name of one organization of society, the world, and it contrasts it with another organization of society, the church. So what are they and how are they different? Because, of course, the church is in the world. We have an address here on a busy street in a large metropolis. We're certainly not removed from the world if you were to think of it as a location. I heard this definition once for what the world means and then what the church means. The world is simply human society organized without God, and the church is human society organized around God. That's it. Now, God does not coerce or force us. As it was with our first parents, we are given choice. If we want to organize our society without God, we are free to do that. We have the power to do that, not the right. That's the wrong word. The power to do that. We can do that. And so we see that now in our society. We are increasingly uh, becoming more secular in our outlook. But what's the fruit of that? What's the fruit of that? Our children more secure. Our families more stable. Our governments more stable. Our interpersonal relationships more stable. Look around you. You don't have to hear a sermon on that. You can see that. People are hurting. The hurt is real. So what is the church? How do we put into practice these things that we've read? Let me tell you something else. People like to point at the failures of Christianity, and I'll use that in quotes, as an oppressive system. It can very easily become oppressive if it no longer organizes around God. When power becomes the language instead of love, the system can get very oppressive. And we should not hide from bad examples. But we also need to look at the good. Look at the early church in Acts. 
Look at the Anabaptist believers. Menno Simons could rightly say to those that were trying to wipe out his little sect, he said, you call yourselves Christians. But among us, there is no widow or orphan that has lack. In spite of being deprived of goods and even life itself, we care for one another. Why? Have you wondered why? We have young men and young women here that have grown up in this church but are still not part of it. What keeps bringing you back? I don't think it's just family ties. I think what you may see here, at least in an imperfect way, is a society ordered around God. And there are, there are benefits to that. You see that. Perhaps, like I did when I was unconverted, I looked at this group of believers and said, you know what, I'd like a family one day, and I'd like that family to look kind of like some of these families here. I see a stability here. I see a love here. I see a service for one another, an esteeming of one another. I want that. So what is it, then, that gives us the ability to fulfill these commands, these orders of Scripture, that allows us to bring ourselves in line with God's design for humanity as a whole. God has always wanted our happiness. Right from the very beginning in the garden, he has desired our happiness and, and the maximum version of ourself, if we want to use a, a more modern language. He always desired our best. But our fallen nature is suspicious thinks that God is holding out on us somehow and wants to do things another way. In the church of God, it's to be different. So what is that thread then that brings all of this in a line with God's word? I'll give you one word. It's faith. So what is faith? Faith is not some nebulous thing out there. It's simply drawing our lives in alignment with the truth. If we believe the truth of God's word and bring our lives in alignment with us, with that truth, we will see how that will work. And I'll tell you something else. It will run against every single thing in your carnal nature, in your, in your natural person. You will, your, your natural man will rise up against that. I have a lot of kids. And one of the things that's hard to do is to teach, to teach what God's word says about how we're to order our lives. And none of it is comfortable. My oldest boy, Adam, now, he's getting a little older, having to teach him what being a man is. A man is not serving yourself first. A man is not using your power to oppress someone else who's weaker than you. To be a man, a man of God, is to follow Jesus Christ, whose life was patterned after service, motivated by love, and defined by self-sacrifice. That's what we're called to, men. We could have a whole other sermon on what that means. And I won't keep you any longer. We started a little later, so forgive me for this. But if you see something here, that you see as desirable for your own life, I'd encourage you to go deeper, to find out what that motivation is behind all of that. It's not an oppressive male patriarchy. 
It's faith in a loving God who gave everything for us and wants our very best. When I surrender my own puny will and and imperfect knowledge of things to that, I see how it works. That's what keeps me going. If we can learn that, we will indeed be a transformed people and a light to this world. The world won't understand it. They'll try to look for the, the angle behind this. The oppressor may view it as subversive, trying to remake society in some way or it's some kind of cult that's demonstrating power over people. No, the doors are open. You can come or go. It's always been about a free laying down of yourself, your will, as Christ showed us. As we follow him, we will find the truth, the motivation for living what we've learned about today. As long as the the rest of the world fights that and tries to organize itself in other ways, it will only turn on itself. The French Revolution ended in blood with the blood finally of the ones who were leading it being spilled. Communist Russia turned on itself, purges, Millions dead. The current cancel culture and woke mob will also turn on itself because when you speak the language of oppression, this is what happens. It's only love, service, and truth that is transcendent, that has the ability to reform and change men and women into the image of who they were created to be in the first place. This is why there's something in us that wants to see a society set right, but doesn't know how to do it without the word of God and the truth of God to guide it. May the Lord add whatever is lacking. May he impress this upon us. And may he grant us both the the motivation and the humility to bring our lives in alignment with the truth that the world would know that we are followers of the risen Christ. Amen.